it's community that allows us to heal. It takes more than just one element. It mm-hmm. takes a team, a tribe to heal. Welcome to Breaking Barriers in Rural Health, a limited series podcast from Mountain Pacific. We are sharing what is working in rural mental health and healthcare and discussing ways to replicate these successes. We're also shining sunlight where it's needed by identifying breakdowns and gaps in care. Ultimately, we aim to improve the health and well-being of our healthcare communities and anyone listening in to this podcast. Now here's the latest episode in Breaking Barriers in Rural Health. Okay, Leah, uh, welcome to our podcast. I've had the distinct pleasure of working with you over the last several years, and I have always learned a ton from you. So um, why don't you introduce yourself to the group here? Thank you, Amber, and definitely it's been an honor and a privilege to work with you and your team. So I'm Leah Wetzel. I'm from the Blackfoot Confederated Nation. I am a woman in recovery. I am a person that is a survivor. I put myself in that category, and we might go into that a little bit. But I work for Montana's Peer Network. Um, I'm a certified behavioral health peer support specialist. I'm a master trainer in cultural humility. I'm also the director of the formerly North Central Human Trafficking and MMIP Task Force, now Big Sky MMIP. That is a lot of roles to fill. (laughs) You have many, many shoes, I'm sure. So one of the things that I was thinking about today in planning for discussion is that in so many areas of your life, you are serving as an advocate, whether that's as a peer supporter or in your missing and murdered indigenous people's work. So what brought you to that advocacy role and what kind of keeps you going? Because that's, that can be fairly exhausting. Definitely. So I, um, as I shared, I'm a woman in recovery. So I'm coming up on May 18th on five years in recovery. But there's a long story before that. I had been in the criminal justice system, caught in that revolving door from 18 to 35. I'm also, you know, a survivor of, um, I'm sixth generation survivor of boarding schools. So that includes intergenerational and historical trauma and a survivor of human trafficking. And so I was raised to really put on a mask and make things look good on the outside. You know, from the outside looking in, everything probably looked picture perfect, but it wasn't obviously, you know, because I I was a pretty troubled teen and got into a lot really quickly. Um, But when I found recovery, I found it at a place called uh, Riverside and also NAA and Wellbrighty. And... As I worked through drug treatment court, I kind of started getting my voice back. I also spoke at the sentencing of the man that hurt me pretty bad. And I was so scared. It was during COVID. And I did it over Zoom, which was kind of comforting being in my home. 
um, not having to be face to face, but to speak at a offender's sentencing, there's all kinds of mixed feelings. In majority of my life, and I think why a lot of people continue to be addicts and be in the criminal justice system is we're running from those feelings. But I didn't, and I wrote my feelings out, and I had it in front of me, but I kind of did what I normally do now when I go speaking. I just spoke from my heart, and it was the most empowering thing that I ever done in my life. And like a year and a half before that, when I first decided, I'm going to do this, I'm going to speak up, this man, this is a bad guy. I found out that he had done this to a lot of other people, but he had never been charged with it. And so when I did, three more people came forward, and I just realized the power of voice. And then I think, you know, going forward, there's kind of an oppression being in the justice system. You're kind of scared to rock the boat. But as I work through that, you know, and it, Really, it's, it's, it's community that allows us to heal. It takes more than just one element. It mm -hmm. takes a team, a tribe to heal. And, uh, I think just all the different mentors and people in my life really push me to keep talking about it. And now I'm trying to build a platform for other survivors to use their voice too. Yeah, so that's that's kind of an interesting way of what basically what I'm hearing is what gives you the staying power of doing this is that giving to others and allowing them to to learn about their own voice. And I've never really thought of it that way about taking back your voice. Part of the thing that you work, you work with so many. I know you work with the drop in shelter community as well. And, you know, whether you are homeless or you are of a different race or just poverty, you know, those that's a whole group of people that kind of have the deck stacked against them. And, you know, how do they access the resources that we do have in the state and how do you help them improve their situation? Right. So, yeah. I've been blessed to be able to be my, I think my title's drop-in center coordinator, but I'm really a liaison and a technical assistance for the state's drop-in centers. And so I look at it as all the dynamics that they're working with. It's really re-entry, whether they're re-entering society from being homeless whether they're re-entering society from being in the criminal justice system. It's just those wholesome, like, life skills, because I swear there's some generations there that just really missed out on, you know, what's a budget? How do I be successful? What are these steps? And I really think it's education, and I think it's being transparent and then being able to see other examples, which – Peer support can be a really great dynamics to connect, a really good workforce to connect with those dynamics. And that's what these drop-in centers, their peer-based, recovery-oriented, behavioral health drop-in centers. But being able to connect them with resources is huge because when you're out of the loop, it doesn't matter what loop it is, whether it's 
getting help, getting support, being able to be connected with those resources. And that's what those drop-in centers really are, is a hub of resources, support, and really focused in on collaboration. That's really cool. Really cool. One of the things I also wanted to talk with you about is, although Native Americans make up a very small portion of our state, they comprise a very large portion of the people with substance use disorder. And you've touched a little bit on some of the historical trauma that has been passed down, um, secondary trauma. What are some of the interventions you think that really resonate with the Native American population in in pursuit of recovery? So we've had this talk before. Really, culture is prevention. And a lot of our people have been disconnected from knowing who they are, where they come from, who their people are, knowing they're different and probably not wanting to feel different. I know growing up in an urban area, it was like I was the the Indian girl in the urban area and, you know, back on the res, I was the white girl. So, you know, always having that conflicting feeling of identity and like, who am I? So I think really connecting minorities with who they are and honoring that. And then also some trauma-informed ways can be, you know, meeting people where they're at, allowing them to really, you know, they're the expert of their own lived experience. And so no matter what color you are, having somebody come and tell you, this is what you need, empowering them and really, sometimes we don't know what we need. But once we get in the groove of learning about recovery and connecting in groups and connecting with our culture, being able to know that people believe in us, we can start kind of believing in ourselves. You know, there's some agreements that were shared with me through a lady by the name of Suta Calling Last, and she runs a master training for cultural humility. And she trained me, and I was very grateful that she trained me in that. And some of those agreements are, you know, listening with intent, not interrupting, some of those basic old school principles of respect. And I think, you know, somewhere along the line, a lot of those kind of got overlooked. But just being able to listen to people, and even if it's the most boring thing or it makes no sense to you, listening as if they're like the wisest person in the room, you know, because there's a lot of power in that. Because we already beat ourselves up enough by the time we get to support and some good resources for connecting individuals if you're non-native and you don't really know what those resources are. White Bison, they do well Bridey. They have seven different trainings and they believe that no matter what color you are, we're all one race, the human race, and they love sharing that knowledge with, with anybody from any background. Another one is Native Wellness Institute, like Theta Nubrest. They do Facebook Lives and give out a lot of information, and they do trainings as well. Suta Calling Lash, it's uh, Indigenous Vision. 
she would have got mad if she heard me stopping on that. <laughs> um, but those are some really good resources and Native American Fathers and Families Association. Their focus is really on building relationships, learning to have relationships, that type of thing. Those are some great resources because there is a definite shortage of providers in Montana and we need we need everybody to be able to work with anybody that knocks on their door, right? Right. And there's definitely a need. Um, if I could take on every contract or offer, we would need about 10 of me, you know. So <laughs> if people are out there and they have knowledge, you know, traditionally that knowledge is to be shared, you know, and we're supposed to share it with love. So we need we need that. Well, I know that I have learned from you, so that's good. I've learned a lot from you too, my friend. <laughs> we did some, we got to do some fun things together. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Anything else that you'd like to share? Yeah. So I guess a little update. So I got to do a public service announcement with the attorney general and I'll be doing a training on July 19th at the Law Enforcement Academy. Department of Corrections has asked me to train some new, fresh law enforcement, share a bit of my story, and share what helped. Kind of like this, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that information's important to to share. And Yeah, that reminds me of when you were telling me about your story, and if you don't mind sharing with the whole world, the importance of law enforcement and what a difference that one person was to you. You can make me cry again. So, um, yes, that is like a big piece of what I share with law enforcement. So I had many traumatic events happen, but I never, I tried to say something one time and I did not get the response that I thought I was, and I'm like, oh, that's the last time I'm doing that. Well, I had a gentleman come in my life after almost losing my life. Somebody had made a report about the incident, and so I got uh, some people questioned me. And so the detective that ended up taking on my case, he was with the drug task force um, here locally, and he believed me. He listened to me and he told, he did what he said he was going to do. He said, I'm going to, we're going to put this guy behind bars. And he would check in with me. He would pull me in and visit with me. Um, Once I got to where I was like outpatient and doing drug court, he would text me, he would call me (laughs) and he, what he did everything he said he would do. And um, long story short, I graduated drug court and he came and he, he, um, gave me a gift and told me how proud he was of me. And at that time, I was really trying to connect with like the local MMIP because I wanted to get involved because, mm-hmm. you know, you start realizing getting out of self, it, it's really helpful because we get in our minds and it's not a good place to be. And so he ended up connecting me with the MMIP task force at that time. And he ended up telling me that day, he said, you know, I'm always telling him thank you. 
because he did. He put that man behind bars Mm -hmm. and, and he supported me and he was transparent and open with me. And he said, you know, I really should be thanking you. He said, I, I got out of the service and I got home and due to the, the crap we see there, I had a huge disconnect between me and my family. And he's, he said, I just, all of that passion and life kind of left. And he said, being able to support you has helped me. And he's like, it's helped my relationships. And at that time, he was made the head of the violent task force they opened here for a while, which it's pretty cool hearing uh, how helpful that, because we never know the ripple effect, you know? Right, right. um, With that kind of, it's so funny because I started off with you being the advocate for others, but that journey started because he received it. For me, yes. I know it's, it's bigger than us, you know, and if I could have a message to really end on would be don't doubt yourself and now I'm going to start crying. (laughs) Don't doubt yourself and always listen to that inner voice because that's whoever your creator is. That's, that's your creator and your ancestors trying to connect with you and tell you something. So (laughs) always listen to that. Always listen to that inner voice. Thank you so much, Leah. This has been awesome. Thank you for having me. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Leah, for agreeing to talk with me today. I always learn so much from you. I wanted to share with everybody else a couple of the resources that we discussed. First off is Montana Peer Network. This is a peer-run organization, which means it's being run by people that have a substance use disorder. And their role is to provide information, education, training, and support for people seeking recovery from mental health concerns, substance use disorder, and trauma. They have weekly support groups and an indigenous wellness panel on a regular basis. The White Bison was another organization that Leah mentioned in detail, and that is at whitebison.org. They are a Native American-operated 501c3, and they have various resources as well as training on cultural-based healing to assist Native peoples. If you are a provider and you are looking for additional content related to assisting your Native American clients, you can access the SAMHSA website, which is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. I am sure that most of the providers on the call are well-versed on the SAMHSA website, but they do have specific training for working with American Indian and Alaska Natives to promote healing from substance use disorder. So check all those resources out, and we hope to see you next time.
Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Breaking Barriers in Rural Health and learn more about Mountain Pacific at www.mpqhf.org.